the better you are at listening, the better you are at communicating, the better you are at building a relationship. So this curiosity, asking questions, listening, appropriate sense of humor, ability to have deep conversations, that builds relationship. Welcome back to the Investing with Purpose podcast, where we explore the intersection of success and significance. We discuss alternative investment options from our experience buying hundreds of millions of dollars worth of real estate, but most importantly, how we're using that business to impact people in a positive way to leave a legacy that matters. Let's get after it. Today, I just want to focus on leadership styles, and we're going to focus on the five levels of leadership and influence. So I'm going to share five levels of leadership. Most influential is what they call referent. Least influential is what you call positional. And then these in between. So when we steward our own character well, the overflow will affect big things. Being intentional about how we influence others while continuing to steward our own character is the crossroads of leadership. So he goes through and he defines what leadership is. How do you influence other people? And then how do we lead? There's directive leading, meaning you have a boss. They're telling you exactly what to do. Um, And I like where he lays out, you should use directive leadership when people are new, when they're new to a position or a role, or they've been downgraded on the freedom V, which basically is the, you do, I watch, you do, I help kind of, and all these are clickable links that you can go check out. Transactional, really, it's just motivating with positive and negative consequences. So transactional is you do this, you get this, you do this, I punish you this way, right? And that's level two. Three is participative. So you're participating and guiding people. So you're empowering people. This is good for all of us, by the way. I mean, if you're in this company, you're a leader. You are talking and managing something or someone. So this isn't just for business owners. I think leadership often gets defined as like the people that are in management roles. But if you're in a role in this company, you're in a management position, right? Justine, you're managing asset managers, property managers, Celia's dealing with vendors and Salesforce implementers and investors. Krisha, same thing. So every one of us is in a leadership role here in the business. I don't think that happens in every business, but certainly here it does. So delegative is just you're delegating and you're not dictating the process in which you're doing it. So if I say, hey, Travis, I need this done. I'm not going to tell him how to do it. This is what I want. This is the delegation. This is not the how. And then the top way to lead is transformational. Transformational leadership, it leans heavily on the referent power. Individuals who are led this way tend to be high on the freedom V, meaning they have pretty much autonomy, understanding expectations, and creating their own boundaries within those expectations. So this is where everybody's shooting for, right? Where we're capable and willing to take ownership in the mission. And extreme ownership talks about this a lot, but I like how he lays out just the types of ways to lead. And then types of influence we have. Transformational is the most developmental. Directive is the least developmental. This goes very much hand in hand with the type of influence we have. So directive would be positional influence, meaning based on Sean being the chief operating officer, he can tell people what to do. It's the most sought after, but least effective way to influence others. So you have a perceived weight that the position that you hold carries. So that would be Coercive influence would be next. You're gaining coercive influence by following disciplinary threats or reinforcing established boundaries. So that's discipline with your kids, from a parent, from a spouse, ridicule, reward. Next level is, okay, so you do this, I'll give you this. This will be your next reward. 
expert, you've become an expert in that particular field. So then you're demonstrating proficiency and then you lose expert influence by pretending you know answers when you don't know them or providing false inadequate information. I've experienced both of these now in my life. I have pretended to know things or pretended to experience things so that other people would think that I knew what I was talking about. And you lose influence that way. I didn't know that at 22, but I thought by saying these things, it would get people to understand where I was coming from better. And that's just a broken mindset. Then fast forward almost 20 years later, we're actually getting asked to speak from stage about things that we are experts on and that gains influence. So this would have been an interesting roadmap to have when I was 20 and understand that this influence is garnered from being authentic essentially. Referent influence is the type of influence from doing life in a way that others want to emulate by stewarding one's own character. You gain referent influence through strengthening your pillars. You lose it when you demonstrate poor character or poor choices. So this is where we're looking to be, right? Especially as Christians, how are we gaining referent influence? And that's, you see it all the time when people are like, oh man, there's something different about you, right? It's recognition of the power that our choices and influence have and character has on the people looking at us. So if your life is the only Bible that some people read, are you giving him chapter and verse or maybe like 10% of it? This is all good yeah, stuff. I love it. It just said participants can now see something. We've been there. We're good. Cool. All right. So the rules of referent power. So how are we cultivating this influence? It's both about becoming the best person you can and leading others effectively. The tenets of referent power show us the key areas of life on which we should focus the best steward our, and best steward our lives. These are the pillars. The result of stewarding these pillars is that they will be strong, healthy, and true, not superficial. If your emotional pillar is strong, it doesn't mean that you're never sad or angry. It means you are someone who stewards emotions well. I don't think there's a better way to look at your emotions than it's great exactly servant, there. terrible master. I have people in my life, my family, where, man, emotion drives every decision that they make. And that's not healthy. And then I have other people that are robots and no emotion drives none. And that's not healthy either. But you have to be able to recognize those emotions, steward them well, and then make decisions based on that. True vulnerability is stronger than false masking. It's interesting because I think most of us don't want to be vulnerable, at least initially. When I was younger, I certainly didn't want to be. I don't want to feel vulnerable if felt exposed. In the right community, in the right culture, that's fostered and we get to be more vulnerable and that makes us feel better, right? Like, especially I think in our culture here, like when things are rough or things are not going the way we want, like we don't have a complain fest, but we can be honest about those things and be like, yeah, this is what's tough and this is what I need to work on. So the stronger your pillars are, the greater level of influence you have, the weaker your pillar, the less you'll be able to influence. All right. Six tenets of referent power. Physical. This one hit me when I was reading this yesterday, like working on this from the beginning of the year and getting better at it. And 1% a day, I feel like I'm definitely moving in the right direction, but your outward appearance and your presence. People are looking at you and how you present yourself. And that needs to be strengthened through healthy diet, exercise, proper hygiene, appropriate manner of dress can be weakened by unhealthy diet, lack of exercise and proper hygiene. And there's sociological studies about this, right? Now that I'm speaking from stages more, I'm like, man, I have to look better on stage, not because of pride or ego, but because of influence. I recognize and studies show this 
that if you're obese or morbidly obese and you speak from stage, you're like 50% less likely to resonate with that audience. They don't believe you because of how you look. You dress like a slob, same thing, right? So if I put on a, you know, I'm not going to wear a suit and tie, but if I wear a jacket and a nice shirt and some nice jeans and nice shoes and nice watch versus getting up there in like a ripped up jeans and t-shirt, you lose credibility. So that's been forcing me to really take a look at, oh man, got to make sure I'm stewarding my health better because if you have a hundred people and you lose 50 of them right away because you're overweight and they check out and those are 50 potential investors that don't want to do business with us because of how the person presenting the business looks, like that can't happen. Financial, how somebody stewards their finances. I mean, how much more credibility do you take money advice from people that have money versus that don't? or stewarded it at least well. Again, going back to my family, just because I grew up in this, like where money was always looked at as almost like the source of evil, but those people are always broke. The mindset we have around money and what we do with investments and banking and budgeting and all that stuff, that dictates your financial life. Social, Grace and I have been having this conversation a lot because we've just been having a lot of interesting conversations and noticing different patterns with people and friends and family in our lives where like, if you're a know-it-all, nobody wants to listen to you. I used to be this way. I used to know everything because I needed to be looked at as kind of an expert on things. And now that I'm 41, I recognize I know nothing. I'm just starting to learn. (laughs) I knew everything at 24, but your ability to interact with others relationally. And I think that people that are given the quote gift of gab, like people that are extroverted and speak a lot, think that they're good communicators and think that they're good at relationship because they fill the space. It's like the converse is true. The better you are at listening, the better you are at communicating, the better you are at building relationship. So this curiosity, asking questions, listening, appropriate sense of humor, ability to have deep conversations, that builds relationship. Weakened through lack of curiosity, that's being a know-it-all, like not asking questions. Oh, I know that. I know what that is. I know what this is. Oh yeah, that's because of this. Like, Holy cow. Does anybody want to be around that person? No. My goodness. Self-centeredness, inability to share or accept truth. I had trouble accepting truth and trouble like taking it as something that I might not know. That's humility. That goes to the crux of our core of like, do I want to be curious or do I want to be a know-it-all? And then taking oneself too seriously. So good. Spiritual. So your relationship with God, trust and commitment to doing something bigger than yourself. This is the discipline that we all work on every week inside the business. And hopefully we're doing it outside of the business too, but practicing spiritual disciplines. Are you doing listening prayer? Are you doing journals? Are you doing Bible studies? You know, what are you doing to grow spiritually? Actively participating in community. You know, the the Bible calls us to make sure that we're not forsaking the body of believers. So where are you doing that? How are you serving others? And are you sharing true perspective? Can be weakened through lack of spiritual disciplines, isolation, exclusion, pride. I think the pandemic gave a lot of people license to isolate from the church. And I know that church attendance across the country is down post-pandemic because people got isolated and they felt cool watching Elevation on TV versus rubbing shoulders with people that might ruffle your feathers. And that's why I think the Bible calls us to not isolate from the body is because we have to interact with people there. And that grows us because people are people. I think it's just important to get around that community and stay connected. Mental, emotional, reading, studying, listening to others, actively seeking truth, 
So this is EQ, right? What are we doing to increase our emotional quotient? Can be weakened through complacency, assuming superiority, inappropriate emotional boundaries. I think assuming superiority sticks out to me there because social media gives everybody a superiority complex. You're in echo chambers. You're only talking to people that know what you know. I mean, the algorithm is targeted to put you in an echo chamber so that you feel more superior, so that you spend more time there. It's just an ego stroke. Um, I think you're seeing that in teens and young 20s now where they just assume they know stuff because the community that they're hanging out with online agrees with them. And what a scary prospect to not want to learn truth, but to just want to hear your own echo chamber. And then six, family team. An individual's mental and emotional intelligence can be strengthened through kindness, compassion, courage, vulnerability, can be weakened through selfishness, apathy, competing instead of as a team, competing against instead of with the team. Pretty good. Takeaways, thoughts, things that suck out the most. I feel like diligently putting those things into a calendar to where you can actually work on pieces of those pillars on a weekly basis. And also focusing prayer around that that structure, that foundation, I think would be powerful. It does kind of line up with, I don't know where my boldly calendar is, but kind of the wellness wheel. Right. But like the, the six tenets of referent power is physical, financial, social, spiritual, mental, That's emotional, right. and family. Yeah, those six things, I'm sure like six of the eight, I think the only thing that's not on there is like restoration and environment maybe. But yeah. essentially those it's are probably, the same types of things. Yeah, I think they, they overlap. So yeah, if you're taking stuff. time and similar to when I read Never Split the Difference and I wanted to start implementing a mirror or a label, like I wasn't trying to implement the entire book all at the same time. You get overwhelmed. Pieces. Just yeah. pick one thing and do it well for a week. You know, like if you just picked, you know, physical and said, okay, every day this week, I'm going to go walk 10,000 steps, then you're much further ahead than you were before. And then week two, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to build on this. I'm going to do my 10,000 steps. And I'm going to make sure that I'm doing listening prayer for 15 minutes every time when I get home or before, whenever. And then you just start to put these pieces of the puzzle together to where you're being authentic. People can see the character change and you'll start to bear the fruit because it's all biblically based, but you don't have to do it all today, right? It's like, all right, what Atomic Habits talks about doing 1% better every single day. By the end of the year, you're three and a half times the person you were. Yeah. Like just 1% better, one degree better. And... I think these are, again, we don't need to get taught. We need to be reminded. We all know these things, but where is it slipping for you? And then how do you combat that? How do you put it on the calendar? Funny, because I'm on um, like chapter 12 of extreme ownership. And while I was driving back from dropping the kids off today, I was just listening and he was talking about snoozing the alarm. And essentially you're weak if you don't get up with the first alarm. And then he was also talking about how, like, if you don't have the time in the schedule throughout the day, then you have to make the time, which means that you have to wake up earlier or stay up later or whatever. So I was just very convicted. And then, you know, this is just all adding on to that. So. Well, we know it's doable. I was actually listening to a podcast with Alex Hermosi and he was getting interviewed by some guys. And one of these guys is like really overweight. A big part of the podcast was him asking Alex questions because Alex is a gorilla. He's shredded. He's been that way for a long time. And he was in the fitness industry for a long time. He said, why haven't you lost the weight yet? And the guy goes, I don't really know. He's like, well, do you know how do you lose weight? 
And he's like, oh yeah, I know what to do. And he goes, so the question isn't what to do, it's why aren't you doing it? And they went down the rabbit hole of like, oh, well, maybe there's this emotional thing around food or blah, blah, blah. And I kind of loved Alex's answer. He was like, no, you just don't want to. Because if you wanted to, you would do it. It's like, what's stopping you from doing it? You know, and one of the other podcasters was like, well, maybe there's something more deep seated. Maybe there's some emotional blah, blah, blah. And he goes, he goes, yeah, but I hate that answer. He's like, because now we're always making a a big problem, a bigger problem. The problem isn't that your mom gave you milkshakes when you were four to make you feel comforted. It might have something to do with that, but do you want to go tackle that big giant? And be like, well, why did my mom give me milkshakes when I was four? Or do you want to get up and walk 10,000 steps today? Because one doesn't need to compound into oh, this bigger issue. And I was like, man, how do we do that? The stories we tell ourselves where it becomes this big demon that we have to go conquer instead of, no, you're just not disciplined enough to wake up at 530 and go for a walk. Because we don't want to hear that either, right? We'd much rather blame mom and dad for it versus, nah, you stayed up too late. Now you don't want to wake up. And I was just like, man, this is so good. (laughs) And, you know, what he was saying was some people need to feel the pain of regret too. Like there's the pain of discipline and the pain of regret. And some people won't get disciplined until they start to feel the pain of regret, meaning they have a health issue or their family's falling apart or, you know, pick a problem. And some people won't make changes until that happens versus going, I'm just going to start today. I'm going to be 1% better today. It doesn't have to be crazy. But he really thought it was all or nothing, this guy. He was like, well, then I have to diet and I have to track macros and I have to exercise. He goes, how about you just go home and throw out the unhealthy things in your pantry and replace them with good things today? That's all I want you to do today. Can you do that? And he cited this study, which I thought was really interesting from a sociological perspective, is that 90, I think they said 30% of all Vietnam veterans when they were in Vietnam tried heroin. They came back and 90% of them never tried it again. The opposite of that is almost 90% of heroin addicts that go to rehab here relapse at some point. And he said what was incredible about the study was that it just showed the difference in the environment and the impact that it had in your habits because you just get so routine into these things. He's like, so, you know, he was saying how um, he wanted to, stupid example, but he wanted to do facial cream on his face every night. Before he went to bed. And every week, the cleaners would come and move it into his drawer and he'd stop for a couple of days and then he'd be like, oh no. So he had to have the conversation with the cleaners like, hey, don't move that cream off the side of the bed because I won't do my routine. Just that little step changed how consistent he was with it. So where else is that eking into our lives where we don't do listening prayer? Because I mean, if I don't wake up at literally 515, and go to the gym and get home at 6.30 and have that 20 minutes for listening prayer before the kids get up, one or two of those things won't happen throughout the day. On the days that I do it, it is consistent and perfect and awesome. And I feel amazing. But like, where else do we have these things where it's like, oh yeah, I'm eating bad things. It's like, well, if you didn't have ice cream in your freezer, you wouldn't have ice cream tonight. If you didn't have cookies in your pantry, you probably wouldn't have cookies. So it's like, what are these little tweaks to help you be successful that you're not thinking through for all of these things? You know, as simple as it is, I got a standing babysitter on Friday nights so that Grace and I could go on a date night. Date nights used to be this mountain that was insurmountable. Like seriously, it was like, we can never do date nights. 
We got to put it on the calendar. And then once a month was my, my goal. How do I get out with my spouse for a couple hours for once a month? Once a month. Yikes. That's no good. I mean, but that's what it was for years. Yeah. And now it's like, yeah, but getting a babysitter. Okay. So it costs money. Is there other things that you can do that don't cost money? If that's the issue, how about you play a game night after to put the kids to bed on a Friday night? Like just carve out the time, make the time to be connected so that your marriage grows. Like people that are intentional about weightlifting, get buff. People that are intentional about their marriage, have great marriages. It's everything, you know? So it's how do we put those things into the calendar so that we can be successful at those things and be gentle with ourselves that when we have a bad day, it doesn't mean we fell off. I think we do that to ourselves too. Like, oh, I didn't go to the gym today. My whole week is ruined. No point. (laughs) I had a pizza tonight so I can, you know, the whole week is shot. Like, no, you had a pizza tonight, tomorrow morning, have an egg white frittata and you're back on. Yeah. Once you get to a point to where thing is, something is a routine when you don't do it is okay. Because it's not the majority, right? You need to get past that threshold with that consistency. And then it's like, okay, if you fall off one day or two days, whatever, not a big deal. This is my life at this point. Like, this is what I do. And if I don't do it, that's not the norm. You have a new normal. Yeah. And it takes time to do that. You have to almost become obsessive on certain things, right? To get through that, that barrier. But, and this was one of the guy's complaints. He was like, I I remember he's like, I lost 40 pounds before I was counting macros and I was doing this. He's like, but I was becoming obsessed. He was like, I was planning out my next meal and I was doing this and I was doing that. And he's like, I really feel like it was taking over my life. And Alex was like, good. (laughs) At 300 pounds, you don't have a long life in front of you. So yeah, it's a good obsession. Like that's not a bad thing, but what was that? That was just an excuse. And he said, look, anybody has to become obsessed for a period of time until it becomes the new normal. Like Travis just said, like once that's instilled, I started asking Cadence this after a couple of times of hearing him talk about these types of things. She's like, oh, I want to do this. And be like, well, what's, what would a healthy person do? Right. Cause we just want to be healthy. I'm not trying to promote not eating this or not eating that or doing that. Like what would a healthy person do? Because if that's the type of person that you're going to be. You're going to be a healthy person. I don't know because I haven't lived it for so long, but I can, I know what a healthy person would do in this situation, right? I know they would grab an apple instead of a Z bar or whatever these kids always ask me for. And weight loss is just the easiest one to pinpoint, but this is a discipline in every sense of the word. Like is listening prayer a part of your daily? Is reading the Bible a part of your daily? And like, is it convicting when you don't do one one day? Probably not as long as you get back on the track the next day. So. Anyway, I love these pillars and I love what it says about how that reflects our influence that we have on others. Like, I think we always think of these things as a internal piece of the puzzle. This is just for me, but no, what he's saying is that this is how once you're leading yourself in these places, then you'll have the influence for other people to believe you because you're authentic. I mean, whenever I take advice from guys that are shredded, like I do believe them more because they have the discipline to get up and go do the hard things that I don't want to do all the time. They don't want to do it all the time either. Like there's no big secret to this. Like if you talk to those guys, they just do it anyway. Jocko talks about this all the time. Goggins has a conversation with his running shoes every morning. <laughs> and it's not a fun one. But he gets through it. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I got out of bed this morning and I packed everything up in a nice little easy like gym, like I'm ready to go. I got my, cause my bathroom's getting remodeled. So I have to like sneak out of my room into the living room in the pitch black 
before I can like, get dressed and stuff. And the last couple of days, it's been hard. And I was like, oh, you know what I should do? I should just lay out my clothes and my socks and my shoes all right here. So I don't have to think about it. Duh, right? And then I get out and I get dressed and I go and I come back and I was like, man, that was such an easier process than me fumbling around the room going, where are my shorts? Where are my shirt that I'm going, where's the sweatshirt? Just and, even uh, the tone of your voice right there. That was the first layer of frustration. Yeah. Right? Where is this? That's that stuff shouldn't frustrate you. Yeah, that's Our just, pads, that's heads just are falling off. <laughs> self-inflicted, right? <laughs> it is. It's a self-inflicted gunshot wound, but it's just planning. You know, my girls yeah. came downstairs today. They were like, ah, oh, we're running late. We got to make our lunches. I already made them because I was up early. But I said, girls, tomorrow we're going to try making our lunches at night. There's no reason we can't make a lunch the night before so that you're prepared the next morning. <laughs> They're like life changing. But we all get caught up into the cycle of the day. It becomes more and more cliche the more we study this stuff. But you do run the day or the day runs you. And on the day that you run the day, you feel great. You're like, I got this. Moving forward with this stuff, if there's anything that you guys want to implement into your life that you need accountability for and you want an accountability partner, I'm always here to do that if you want it. And it, it holds me accountable too. And if it's something that I'm missing, I might do it with you. So the American Society of Training and Development found that people are 65% more likely to meet a goal after committing to another person. That chance goes to 95% when they build in ongoing meetings to check in on progress. I had a buddy in my church. He wanted to get up at five o'clock every morning. He's like, I just can't do it. I was like, do you want an accountability partner? He's like, oh, that'd be amazing. He's like, do you know somebody to do that? I'm like, I'm going to call you every morning at five o'clock. <laughs> you're going to have morning. to call someone every five minutes. <laughs> well, I'm going to, I'll make it efficient. I, I won't <laughs> overwhelm myself, but <laughs> even if it's just a text message, right? Like it got to two weeks, you know, within three weeks, your habits there, right? If you're doing it for three weeks, you're on your own at that point. If you can see it through for three weeks, you're pretty much 21 days is the mark. Once you get there, it's the norm. You'll feel weird if you don't go to the gym. Even if I don't go like lift, I'll just go and walk and like hit the sauna. But just I'm move. Just up, right? Like just, I didn't know this, but I've been doing this sauna and steam room. Your heart rate gets, my, my heart rate gets up to like 135 just sitting in that thing. Zone three, baby. It's like, I mean, <laughs> and it's a mental game. It gets hot. Yeah. <laughs> I want to get out. And I'm like, all right, just, I can do anything for two minutes. I can Dude. do anything in the world for two minutes. And then I go another got- two minutes. <laughs> we gotta go we gotta go to the russian saunas i don't want to do a cold plunge but i will no but the russian saunas are there's like igloos that you go into that are basically like ovens i remember like the first time i went in there was a little old lady in there that was it was like 200 something degrees in there and, and it was like your instant like just pouring sweat and like your head's going get out like, 200 is the dry sauna oh yeah gotta be yeah. dry in there. yeah because yeah. mine only goes to 128 but it's a steam room. So it's, it, I mean, it's, it's dripping deep. on you and it's hot. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh. no, it's, no, it feels like you're basically just walking into an oven. It's insane. And a little old lady just sitting there all peaceful. I'm like, if she's doing it, I got it. Yeah. Like, if she's not passing out, because you instantly feel like you're going to pass out. I didn't want to do this, but I listened to, I think it was a Rogan episode, not a Rogan episode, because those are four hours long and who has that much time. But I listened to a clip from Rogan where a cardiologist said your chance of cardiac death reduces by 42% when you do a sauna three times a week for 10 minutes. 42% mortality rate decrease 
Well, hmm. that's a that's a valuable 30 minutes a week. I was like, I can't not do that. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? <laughs> it's the best half hour spent. And now I just listened to a book. I was listening to Caldini in there today. Perfect. So anyway, I love this stuff. Read some of those resources. He's got a great podcast called Yellow Balloons, but it really is talking about how to lead yourself so that you can lead others. And I really feel like this is what God was trying to reveal to us when we were out in Vail with the Benhams was like, hey, I have a big call for your business. But if these pillars are shaky, it won't grow to the extent that I can build it. And that to me, it was convicting and beautiful. And I was like, all right, where do I need to start focusing? And it's been a one degree a day kind of thing. It's not a light switch. It's the truth. Cool. Town Hall. Good stuff, Stephen. Yeah. yeah thank really you. Good. Thanks, Tim Dunn. <laughs> What do they say? Um, not replication is the truest form of flattery. Like when you steal something from somebody else. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for listening to the Investing with Purpose podcast. If you're finding value, would you leave us a review and share this with your friends? And go to investingwithpurpose.org to learn more about how to partner with us and to learn more about the nonprofits that we support around the world.